Before we begin, I'd just like to say thank you to my friends at Hair Saloon for supporting this podcast and for providing space at their corporate offices to record it. Hair Saloon's mission has as much to do with the restoration of men as it does with the business of haircutting. They try to make a difference in the lives of the thousands of men who come through their doors each week. Hair Saloon is based in St. Louis, Missouri, and if you've ever been interested in running your own business and want to work with great people, I would highly recommend you check out the Hair Saloon Franchise Opportunity. Go to hairsaloonfranchise.com to find out more information. That's hairsaloonfranchise.com. Also, a quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, and please take two minutes to give us your review. And if you have a question or a comment you'd like to share with our listeners, go to Suzanne at the SuzanneVenkerShow.com. Welcome back to the Suzanne Venker Show. I'm your host, Suzanne Venker. There's a relationship dynamic so common today, it's unusual to meet a couple that doesn't fit the bill. You know the one I'm talking about. The strong-minded and self-sufficient woman who's either dating or married to a man who's been emasculated. You might recall that I talked about this dynamic a lot last week with Alison Armstrong. The dynamic itself isn't new, but the number of couples who are trying and failing to master it is off the charts, thanks to decades of propaganda that groomed women to be more and more like men. Movements such as Me Too and the damaging narratives like toxic masculinity have caused men, understandably, to take a step back in their own relationships and to let women lead. But when this happens, something else follows. The relationship starts to feel flat or contentious. Sometimes it's even dangerous. The wife or girlfriend will seem to nag and criticize more and have less interest in sex. When she gets angry, he will label it as crazy and blame her. In truth, she's just expressing the pain of your not stepping up. Just about every woman, whether she's a CEO or a full-time mom, needs a man who consistently follows through on his word, who has purpose in his life, who remains grounded in the face of her intense emotion, who makes her feel safe, and who provides leadership. G.S. Youngblood is a men's coach, former Silicon Valley executive, and the author of two books, including the recently published the masculine in relationship. He's here to talk with me today about this very prevalent and delicate dynamic. Welcome, GS. All right. Good morning, Suzanne. Thanks thank for having you. me on. Yes, thank you so much for um, coming on. This is really great. I'm very excited to talk to you, and I'm I, I love your book. Needless to say, again <laughs> for everyone, that's called it's called the masculine in relationship by GS Youngblood. And I yeah, I've, been exci- I've been excited to talk to you too. Good, good, good. Yeah. I, I mean, we clearly <laughs> have something in common. Um, more than one, actually, because you're from St. Louis, where I am from and where I do this podcast. I know you're now out in California, so it's always nice to talk to a fellow St. Louisan, Midwesterner. I hope yeah. the West hasn't changed you too much, GS. <laughs> a little bit, but some things have changed. <laughs> so I, there's so much to cover. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about your personal story and how you got how you got to where you are with this. Because from what I can tell, you said that this has been twenty years in the making. There was something specific that happened in your in your life that started you on this journey of trying to figure this out. And I have to tell you, I think what you've put together is incredible. The book is so, so well organized. I'm really impressed because it's a lot of information. It's difficult. It's hard to um, 
explain in a way where people can hear it. There's just, I know there's so much to this. So I just wanted to tell you up front how well organized it is. And we're going to talk about Ooh. that in a minute. But first I wanted you to tell my listeners your personal story about um, what happened in your, in your marriage. I was going to say your first marriage, but I think it was the only marriage. So, so far. Yeah. Only marriage so far. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, that marriage ended about 10 years ago and I was married to a very strong woman. And by the end of that marriage, um, I was, I was basically doing the dance to stay out of trouble with her. Um, and, it, and it's at that point I had relinquished all my opinions, all my preferences, and I felt like I was just giving, 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 and it actually made it worse. Um, because over the course of that marriage, I did not know I had emotions. Um, I did not know that I had boundaries and I really hadn't tapped into my own desires. Like I, I, at that point in my life, I got married when I was in my twenties. Uh, at that point in my life, I, I hadn't really found myself in the sense of knowing what I want and then being able to assert that in the face of a partner who may want something different and then working together on that. Um, and so it was a very challenging period. My self-esteem was uh, pretty low, needless to say. And at some point, she just closed her body and heart to me. And it was a pretty miserable situation at that point. And the way that it ended, um, it, was, it was pretty bad and was very painful for me. And the good news, though, is that that became the catalyst for me to make change. I mean, the depth of that pain, uh, the depth of the suffering that I went through was really the fuel for this book and um, really propelled me into the next phase of my life where I was very, very motivated to try to do something different. I didn't know what that was, but then I started to meet some of my own mentors. Uh, I met uh, the, the folks from uh, what was called Authentic World. Um, really teaching deep skills in authentic relating. And that was where I learned I had emotions. That was where I learned that my way of being affected other people. Um, moving forward, I got introduced to David Data and studied with him for a number of years. And that introduced me to the masculine-feminine dynamic, which is mm -hmm. the basis of this book. And, and then from there, uh, for, the, for the, the past few years, have uh, studied with one of David's main students, and uh, continued my development. And then in the background of that, I was in relationship for, for many years with a very, very powerful and very feminine woman at the same time. And so I wasn't just, uh, you know, studying and doing workshops. Uh, I was actually living it every day in the, in the laboratory of, of real relationship and uh, really trying to do it the, the right way because I, I had definitely done it the wrong way in my marriage. Got it. Okay, so... Um... Before I ask you about this blueprint, which I think is the, well, I know is the basis of the book and so important, um, since you brought up masculine feminine dynamic, and that's really what this is about, I have another question that I want to just talk about now um, about polarity. Not a question, but I want you to explain polarity. Now, about every month I talk with a man named Andre Parody, who's also out there in California where you are, about the mm -hmm. significance of polarity, and he's, mm -hmm. his, his work is all about the masculine feminine dynamic as well as mine. So we talk about that every month. So my listeners are familiar with that, but mm -hmm. go ahead and just lay out what polarity is and why it's so critical for any relationship to last. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So to answer this, I'll, let's start with the visualization. Uh, and if you've ever watched uh, good tango dancers, mm. um, this is the visualization. So I do a, a little tango dancing, not very well, but I try. And, um, it is a very strong lead follow dance. You know, one partner agrees, hey, I will follow. 
Now, outside the dance floor, I might be the CEO of a company and tell everyone else in my world what to do. But inside this dance floor, I agree to follow. And then one person agrees to lead, obviously. And when I lead, or when any lead does tango, um, I'm not, you know, moving, forcing my follow's body where I need it to go, okay? Tango is very... Um, very much about I offer an invitation. So I might turn my shoulder slightly, which is her signal that she can come through. So the leadership in tango is all about an invitation. So polarity for me, it is, this is an opt-in arrangement. This is where one partner in the relationship agrees to also, um, to follow, uh, I like to use the word, the receptive energy. Mm-hmm. And then the other person agrees to take on the responsibility of more directive energy. And in that, the person in the receptive energy can really just relax. And then when you overlay sort of gender on top of that, now there, mm-hmm. there, is no, there are no gender norms. It's just I write about a man that wants to be in his masculine and a woman that wants to be in her feminine. So that's the, that's the combo that I've chosen to write about. So that's what I'll speak to. Um, this is where I can, I need to step up. I can set direction. Uh, I can create some structure in the relationship. And, um, if I'm doing it competently, she can just relax into my lead. And then my experience with the the women that I've been with is when she can just sit back and relax and follow my hopefully competent lead, she goes into a state that's actually very, very enjoyable for me. Like at the end of the day, that's really it. It's like, I love being around her, um, when she's relaxed, when she's willing to follow my lead. And uh, that's when the playful side, that's Mm -hmm. when her body opens to me. That's when she's laughing and being more expressive and all those feminine traits that I absolutely love and, and I need she, in relationship. And that she's desiring from you. So I'm going to stop you right there because I, I yeah. truly believe from what I do from my vantage point in my work that the search for this and the inability to find it and understand it is the number one problem in modern marriage and relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just no question about it. In fact, it's not just in uh, relationships that have already been established, but I'm seeing it in young adults where we have this issue, and of course you, you mentioned it in the book, where women, mm-hmm. are, women are excelling and men are falling behind, and, that's, and that's a big part of what I do is talking about that social-slash-cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. um, and how that is sort of messing people up, if you will, in this regard because – they don't know that what they're being taught to do for Monday through Friday, nine to five, for example, does not work um, <laughs> in your relationships in the evenings and the weekends. So my, <laughs> which might be how you ended up finding me with this podcast, because I wrote that book, the alpha females guide. And that's all about learning to turn it off at the end of the day, because everything you've been taught to do as a woman is going to completely ruin your relationship. If you don't come up with another blueprint for how to navigate that, which is where your book comes in, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you said turn it off because it, it is um, some people, unfortunately, some people will read my book and they will they'll sort of twist the meaning that that it's saying that women somehow need to be more in a submissive role. I know. And all too well. No, yeah. it's, it's not. It's not that at all. It is if you choose to, can you turn it off? And um, and let's see, how would I say this? Can you turn it off and then trust in what your man brings to the table? Now, there's an obligation for the man. This isn't all about the the woman doing something different. The man needs to learn how to lead, and he needs to do it competently because she's got to trust his lead. And I know you know this. Um, I'm saying this more for the listeners, but she's got to trust his lead, which means he needs to be competent at it. 
And um, that is what the book is is about. It's really given the men a model of what does leadership look like. One that doesn't uh, doesn't contravene or, or contradict or obviate the woman's power. Perfect. You know, how exactly. Can, how can how can you incorporate that? Okay, so let's get to this. So that's that's where your blueprint comes in, which when I talked about the way you organized it, I just love it. So you're you're you have three, three, what do you call subsections or three areas for your blueprint? Yeah, yeah, Um, I call them three the three elements of the blueprint. Okay, so you go ahead and explain that. Well, first, I'll talk about the need for a blueprint. Um, My own experience was um, that. Uh, there were two kinds of books on masculinity out there. Um, one was sort of some guy shouting at me to be more confident. And I love, <laughs> I love the phrase cause they all use it. It's pick up your balls. <laughs> it's like, okay, I that's do. really, <laughs> thanks. That's helpful. <laughs> and they were, they're just so not helpful. Um, and the, and the other is what I call a fuzzy spiritual guide. Um, um, and so there are some books out there. They're quite good, but they're a little bit, hard to turn into action. And so the blueprint was really my attempt at something actionable. Guys just want to know what to do. Just yeah. like, tell me what to do and I'll, I'll go right through the wall to make it happen. And so that, that was the genesis of the blueprint. And as you said, there's three elements. Uh, number one, respond versus react. Uh, number two, provide structure. And number three, create safety. Um, so shall I go through you? Shall we, why don't we start with the first one? Yeah. Respond versus react. This is a huge, yeah. huge one. And so yeah. have at it. Go ahead. Yeah. The, so this is the, this is the difference between a man who chooses how he's going to be in the world from moment to moment. He chooses what he says, how he reacts, um, how he moves physically in the world Versus a guy who is he's everything he does is a reaction to some stimuli from the world Whether it be a car that buzzes by him or somebody yelling at him, you know He's he's just everything he does is a reaction. There's no choice there And so this reactivity can manifest in a few ways one is nice guy syndrome where you just really relinquish your needs kind of go along to get along Uh, another is approval seeking behavior where you're you know, you're kind of scanning other people for how they're they're sort of responding to you and, and making those micro corrections in your own behavior. Um, and in relationships, definitely withdrawal and shutdown. Like my woman gets mad at me and I just kind of shut down. And we men are very good at that. And then the granddaddy of them all, defensiveness, where you're trying to explain, you know, no, 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 you don't understand. And, um, you know, each of those really comes from the nervous system. You know, the nervous system has gone into a, a little bit of state of threat. And that's one of the cha- there's I put an entire chapter in the book, as, as you know, about threat and mm-hmm. uh, what it's like to go into a threat state. So. So, yeah. So in the book, I talk about how do you how do you go and learn how to access your emotions uh, as one remedy to this? And how do you work on your embodiment? And I give a whole chapter on and exercise. You, for embodiment. You, sorry, you focus on anxiety. So I want to make sure we. That that's a big, huge piece of this. Yeah, thank you. So that so out of a threat state um, comes anxiety, and in, in the book I make the point a few times that um, anxiety is pretty much underlies all of your non-masculine behaviors. And I go through specifically in the book, you know, the types of behaviors, how anxiety plays into this, and so. You know, when I say threat state, I bet a lot of guys have in their mind, like, you know, you're cowering in a corner and it's actually not that it's, it's often way more subtle than that, where you're just, you're a little bit activated. You don't even notice it, but it just makes you a little tight. It's kind of like when you meet the, somebody important or a beautiful woman and you you kind of get a little tongue tied. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you can feel your body tense. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's what it is. And that's what causes all the non-masculine behavior. So I, I say to guys, quit chasing your tail to try to emulate behaviors or become some certain kind of person. The thing you have to do is address the underlying anxiety. And that's, that's what I go into in terms of the, the work on emotions. That's what I go into in terms of the work on embodiment. Okay. And then number two. So number two is provide structure. And in the book, um, I start with talking about setting direction. Something that you can do as a masculine leader is, is set direction. So that means you have the qualities of clarity and decisiveness. So that could mean, yes, you're making decisions for the couple, but it, when you're with a strong woman, it's not like you're just ever telling her what to do. You're probably collaborating on, on most things. So the thing that you can do is how can you simplify the situation? So if you're deciding uh, where to go to vacation, instead of saying, well, I don't know, honey, where do you want to go? You actually have come up with three ideas. You've researched what the costs are. You've researched some availability. And then you come to her and say, hey, babe, I, you know, we talked about the vacation. I have some ideas here. What do you think about these? That's you. You're focusing the beam. You're simplifying things. But then you're collaborating with her uh, on making the decision. So that's, that's setting direction. I was going to ask you, I was going to give an example, another example that I think is so, 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 so common that I want you to address and explain to men specifically why this is the wrong question to ask a wife or a girlfriend. You ready? <laughs> You know what it is, probably. Lay it on me. I'm pretty sure I do. Where do you want to go for dinner? Yes. <laughs> Please explain what, what that does to the average, or at least the strong-willed woman that we're talking about, <laughs> whichever, <laughs> to anybody, any woman. She's, it's, very, it's two words. She's underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> That's she's, good. She's not impressed. And uh, what I want to do is I, I want to start with the men's side because I think it's important. Like, why the heck do we do that? So I go and I think chapter 10, if I recall, is on desire. And most men that I know that I've seen have lost touch with their own desires. So your preferences, your needs, your wants, your boundaries, all of these things. And so I go through a whole chapter of men. Just pause for a second and learn to get in touch with what it is that you want and learn to, to, to tell yourself, I just, you know, I deserve to have needs. Mm -hmm. I deserve to have wants. You know, what I want matters is the mantra that I use in the book. And so men, you've really got to go through and build that muscle of just figuring out what it is that you want. So I go through some exercises in that. And I just think that's something that men have lost touch with because we have the false assumption that tell me what you want, I'll do it for you and you'll be happy. And, you know, Suzanne, I'll bounce it over to you. So as a woman, how does that feel to you? You know, we think it's going to make you happy, but... So for a woman who's used to making decisions throughout the day and being in charge of either their kids, if they're at home with them, or out in the workforce, all we want at the end of the day is to be able to turn it off and have our husband or boyfriend tell us where to show up, right? Or um, not, this is where I think it's so confusing, GS, because people can't, people struggle with the whole concept of being told what to do. Mm -hmm. when, when in fact, what you're doing so well is explaining, no, he's not telling you what to do. He's simply leading and providing the structure so that you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. you are invited and 99% of the time we women are going to say, great, I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in, and it's confusing for men, modern men, especially yeah. when they've been told that all women want to do is lead hundred percent of the time. Right. Yeah. It's very true. And what you're saying is, is actually even more important as more and more women are in the working world. Um, 
because like you said, at the end of the day, you know, they've given everything they've, they've got at the office. And so they want to come home and they want to let down a little bit. And so where we thought sort of the modern equality would lead to the death of masculinity, mm-hmm. it actually, actually ups the ante. Is mul- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's multiplying the need for yes. it. Yes. Yep. Um, I'm writing an article it, on that very thing today. Ah, perfect. Yep. Oh my gosh, you, you and I are so aligned. <laughs> and But there's another nuance I want to bring up because a guy, some of the guys, maybe the ones that have been a little bit more infected (laughs) by this modern culture would say, well, you know, I want to come home and relax. Why can't somebody take care of me? And I, I, to that man, I say, bless you. And that's, that's fine. But if you want your woman to be in her masculine, then please do that. But you got to, you know, do you enjoy a woman who's, who's getting shit done in her masculine as a romantic partner? Exactly. It's, it's, not, it's not a coworker. It's a romantic partner. Because my experience as a romantic partner is when she's more relaxed, when she's a little bit more surrendered, like it's a lot more fun for me. So men, you know, who say, what about me? Say, look, there's a, you know, there's a price for everything. And if you want her in her feminine energy, this is what you need to do. And I, you know what I find, yes, that most men, when they really understand this and try it out, the vast majority of them are going to be right there with it. Because once they see how quick that response is, it's like magic, like you said in the book. Just to finish that off, I'll tell just one super short anecdote. Um, at one point, my ex-wife looked at me and said, you know, I can do it all. I can plan the vacations and take care of the house and work two days a week. And I, I can do it all. I'm capable of it. I just don't want to have to. Mm-hmm. And it really, the way she said it, I felt it. And, the, and really 10 years later is when I really felt it because I, I saw that I was abdicating so much to her because she was very capable. Um, but I saw how it ate away at her and our relationship. And just to provide the other side of that as the woman who is like your former wife, um, that's how my book too was basically written is that I was always operating. I didn't know how, you know, initially to, to turn that off. And my husband, I think at that time in our marriage assumed that because I'm so capable and this Mm -hmm. comes down to like what shoes you wear and like what you're hearing, like are these sounds throughout the day, if you're hearing this person, who's, I mean, even the way I walked was so purposeful and competent that you're almost inadvertently training your husband slash boyfriend to not step up because you're, you're telling him that you're cutting him off in his ability because he just assumes that you've got it covered. So it's very much a chicken or egg situation that people don't really know who, it doesn't really matter, as you point out, who caused it. This is another thing I loved about your book. It doesn't matter who's to quote unquote blame. That's not even helpful. The point is you are the solution. You do not have to wait. You can take control now and here's how to do it. And here's the blueprint. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you brought up a good point. You know, you're so competent that you've trained your, your husband to kind of let you take the lead. And I know so many guys who are in that situation. Um, and they're like, wow, how do I, you know, how do I, take charge and, and, you know, other phrases that they might use. And they're, they're actually really baffled. Yeah. And that, w- that was what the, the blueprint is really about. It's like, okay, guys, I, I get it. It's tough. You know, she's good at so many things. It's tough to sort of take the lead. Here's little ways that you can do that. Right. And just to yeah. add fuel to the fire is our upbringings have everything to do with this as well. So you've got to throw that into the mix. The way I was raised and what I saw with my parents versus his story, those mm-hmm. get, get, folded in to the yeah. whole dynamic, which we don't need to get into, but I'm just throwing that out yeah. there that it's, um, it's, it's big stuff. This is really big stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a complicated dance. It is. Okay. So number three. Yes. The third element creates safety. So what we're talking about here is physical, financial, and emotional safety. And I don't talk about physical and financial much in the book. I'm deferring that to a sequel, but you know, physical safety, I think, is, is pretty obvious, and so I won't touch on that. Financial safety basically means you have your shit together, and you are a provider. Now, it doesn't mean that she's not also a provider, but you have to handle your part of the equation. But what I do go into the book is emotional safety. And I, I, think, it's, I think most men know this notion of like holding space for, for your woman's chaotic emotions. I like that's just 101, and I think most men sort of intellectually understand that. And uh, to be honest, it's, it's actually few men that can really do that well. Um, yeah. And look, I, I, I write a book, but I, I fall down, you know, all the time, occasionally when I get triggered. And so it's an ongoing challenge. Um, it, and when you're with a, a strong woman, it's going to be it's going to be par, par for the course. Here, here's what I recommend to men. It's like, number one, yeah, you're with a strong woman. But here's what you have to see that inside of her is this really vulnerable little girl inside. And that's the part of your, her that you have to see because when she's raging at you in, or in those times that she is, you know, pretty much 99.9% .9 of the time, she's actually in pain. And it's that pain of, of really not feeling the heart connection with you, not feeling your care for her, or maybe not feeling her leadership. So what looks like an attack, it looks like she wants to destroy you. Actually, she wants to be closer to you and she's in pain because she doesn't feel that right now. And if men could see that, even even before I say anything else, that you know, it's going to shift I, a lot for them. I think that is so powerful, and to the extent that it can be done, it it can literally change your life. I mm -hmm. mean, it's amazing. I'm always amazed. I keep continuing to be amazed at how just a slight tweak in the way we view something can be dramatic. So just mm -hmm. looking at somebody who's yelling and being strong enough to withstand it and say oh my gosh, that yelling is about something else entirely, which is how you are phrasing it in the book, and not taking it personally. Now, hard, easier said than done, for sure, for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, but yeah. once you sort of exercise that muscle, I think, and really start to see the yelling as crying, maybe, or, or, or yeah, whatever, however yeah. you want to say it. And I say all this stuff really emphatically, G.S., because this was, this was my parents' marriage. So mm. this is, and they mm. never, ever, ever figured it out. They were married yeah. 44 years. Um, and it was never rectified. It was all the way up to the end. And it was ex the most significant um, experience of my life. Um, yeah. So that's just FYI, a little background there, why this is so important for me to get right. And um, I know it inside and out. I had a, I had a front row seat for 18 years. Well, wow. Longer you, than that. Thank really. you for sharing it. Yeah. I, I'm, I just have this whole new view of you now and, oh. and why you do what you do. Yeah. The phrase I use in the book, hear the pain, not the blame. And it's great advice. And it's also really, really hard to follow. <laughs> and even I, you know, work on it all the time. Um, but it's, it's pivotal as we both said. And there's another phrase I use that I really like, and it's in chapter 14. It is, feelings first facts later and so you know my experience is that you know some of my very feminine partners you know when they get really fired up like it, it, it's a bit confusing and kind of can be a little all over the map it can include things that are projections um, that aren't true and but if I go into the facts about what she's saying I'm generally I've lost before I started and um, 
so in the book, I go into some different ways to respond rather than, you know, uh, you know, getting defensive or trying to explain the facts or, or even focusing on the facts of what she's saying. You know, first and foremost, it's empathy. You know, if your daughter was in pain, you know, you're not going to talk to her about the facts. You're not going to tell her, you know, Great oh, analogy. Like, don't, Great don't analogy. feel like that. You're going to scoop her up and hold her in your arms. And um, that's my experience about 90 percent of the times my woman was fired up. Uh, that's, that's what she wanted good, from. Yes, that's which, very good. Yeah, but it's really hard to do. It's hard for us. So, women out there, please have empathy for us. It's actually very hard for us to yeah. do. Yeah, and I'd like to encourage men if they even just tried it once, <laughs> uh, just one time, and feel your power at being able to soften her mm-hmm. by treating her that way. By instead of being angry, hugging her and holding her and calming her down. Uh, here, I give a great example, Jess. I don't know if you ever saw the film. Far from the matting crowd. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my gosh. Watch it over and over and over again, and you'll know exactly why I'm suggesting okay. it. I'm obsessed with it. All right. So the main character <laughs> is this. Her name is Bathsheba. It's back in the 18th century or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and her, and she, her name is Bathsheba, and she's, it's the opening says she's strong and independent, and she lost her mm-hmm. parents when she was young, and she prides herself on never getting married. <laughs> And she falls okay. for this, yeah, yeah. So she falls for this guy, of course, because it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. And actually there are three different love interests that they go that she goes through to before she lands on the one. But the one that she's most interested in, she says to him at one point, If I were ever to get married, I'd want someone to tame me and you mm. wouldn't and you wouldn't be able to do it. Ooh. Ouch. Ouch. But actually, he ends yeah. up. Well, I won't say anything because I don't want anyone to have it ruined yeah. for them. It's a fabulous movie, Those, but I mean, you can see why this is right up our alley, right? Mm-hmm, that yeah. was it, and I just reround it and rewound it and listened to him. That's it. And people, mm-hmm. when you use the word tame, of course, people get their backs up because they're thinking, you know, like you're treating it like an animal. Or, but I figured since right. she said it, <laughs> as opposed to yeah, it's okay to repeat. <laughs> yeah, right. She said it about herself, and um. Yeah. That really is what we're talking about. We're talking about strong and independent women who want to be tamed. And it's a brilliant man who can do that, right? It just it just takes a lot because of the world we live in today in particular. Yeah, it takes a lot. And and there's a there's a there's an adjunct to that that I want to add on top of that. You know, taming your woman, uh, you know, I'm doing the air quotes over here. You know, it's not about getting her or forcing her or compelling her to do something different. Usually, any time I've asked my woman to change uh, or various women to change, like it doesn't go very well. No. You know, they, they, it, it just doesn't land. When you change, so this is to the men now, but when you change, she'll change. So if, you know, forget about her, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, baby, don't, you know, why are you being so crazy or wild? And why do you always get so mad at me? You don't even listen to me. You know, your, your focus is on her. Put your focus on yourself. And when you stand strong in the face of the storm, when you hear her feelings first and don't try to go to the facts, um, that is going to instantly have her change where she doesn't even try. And I think that's what you were alluding to. Suzanne. It's going to cause change. So, so men quit focusing on what she needs to do differently. or blaming her when you are different. She'll be different. And that's the secret. 
Does your marriage or love life feel hard? I get a lot of emails from readers who are struggling in their relationships. Unfortunately, the help an individual or couple needs can rarely be answered in a series of back and forth emails. For this reason, I offer coaching for individuals who are struggling in their relationships and for couples whose marriages feel stuck. Just go to SuzanneBenker.com and click on coaching at the top to sign up for a session with me. That's SuzanneBenker.com. There's a great statement you made in there. Um, I mean, many great statements, of course, but this one I wrote down because it's so, so important and tricky too, because um, you'll get a lot of people who will, uh, men in particular, who will take issue with this. And I understand why. Um, you said to men, how you look, how much money you earn and what you accomplish at work don't matter nearly as much as the degree to which you live from your masculine core. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to say something about that real quickly um, and then let you expound. But I agree with you um, so much so that um, it's been hard because there's a lot of research showing that men that, excuse me, women today cannot find economically viable or attractive men to marry. And I have written a lot about that um, because that's, of course, getting into hypergamy and a woman's desire to marry across and up the dominance hierarchy and all that. And I know you don't get into the finances too much in your book. So it is a real thing. And I don't want to talk too much about it except to say Mm -hmm. it's not that it doesn't matter because it does. But because that goes back to the financial safety that you talked about. Mm -hmm. But I love the fact that you stress this because I do believe, correct me if I'm wrong, if... If a woman were married or with a guy who was really, really passionate about something, really, really good at it, mm-hmm. and it only made sixty, seventy-five thousand dollars, I'm just throwing numbers out here. It depends on where you mm-hmm. live as to whether or not that's shocking or not. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, that competency, that passion, that pride is going to matter more than the numbers coming in the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you agree? I mean, I assume I you do. agree because you said that. So. <laughs> I do. It's it's there. There's no absolutes, as you said. Like money does matter, and and if um, it, it'll play a role. But you know, the thing about guys is they they tend to, you know, their self esteem drops when they see a guy who's you know taller, smarter, richer. Yeah. Um, and they think they can't do it. And I'm here to tell you guys, um, when I went through this this uh, transformational arc for myself, when I discovered this way of being, as I, I started to work on it, and you know, it's a never-ending game, but as I got better at it, quite frankly, being blunt, the quality of women I was attracting went up a lot. I was amazed. I, People that I thought, yeah. women that I thought were out of my league were interested. And for me, that was just... Uh, proof. That was your proof. There's your proof. That it does... Yeah, it's, it was proof. And, and also just personal experience, even of just other men, my own personal experience, I'll see, you know, I've had experiences of seeing a guy and, you know, he, he might be tall or good looking or just whatever. And, you know, you're, everybody, you know, gets a little jealous. We yeah. all want to be the most uh, attractive person in the room. But then I, some of the guys that I met, then I, st- then I start hearing them talk and I'm like, oh, wow, oh. <laughs> that's, a, that's, I'm a, sorry. that's a really weak energy. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I've had this conversation with my 19-year-old daughter a bunch lately. This is really funny. Um, So true, because I'm thinking now of like, think about a police detective, let's say, right? They're not rich, but just that position and the the, the masculinity that exudes from that role. um, I mean, honestly, you could say that even about uh, uh, somebody who works in construction. Seriously. I mean, it's just, there's this, the more you emphasize that, the more... um, 
the prouder you are about it. You know, you, it's like you said, you can't be um, comparing yourself to other men because then your masculinity will be weakened and she'll lose respect. But the more respect and pride you have in yourself and how you look and what you do, um, the more respect naturally comes from her. Yes, absolutely. And this is what I say to the guys. I mean, this is what the book is about. It's like, don't worry about how tall or rich or smart you are. Just do the blueprint. Like if you want to be more masculine, you don't need to buy a, a, a Humvee. You, know, you don't need to learn how to shoot guns or whatever or grow a beard to make yourself feel more masculine. Just do the, the things in the three elements. And that's masculinity. And if you think about it, the, you, I'm going to use your example, the, uh, the policeman. Well, wh what is the policeman doing? He's He's definitely responding, not reacting. I mean, you don't see a, a policeman get all, you know, frazzled yes. when he's on, on duty. That's one. Two, set direction. He's telling you in no uncertain terms what's going to happen. And then three, create safety. You may not like what he's doing, but you you feel like he's got it handled. And there's that sense of, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm in trouble, but, you know, you, you don't feel unsafe around him. Um, so, yeah, the policeman perfectly encapsulates the blueprint. Great. Great. Um, okay. You spend a fair amount of time explaining the difference in the book between a narcissistic controlling man and a man <laughs> who's just simply grounded in his masculinity. Yeah. Can you explain to my listeners the difference between the two? Yeah, this is, this is one of my favorite parts. You know, I hear so many guys come to me and say, you know, I, I see these with beautiful women. Is, is that what I need to do? Do I need to be an asshole to, to get a woman? And it's really baffling for guys. And what I write about in the book is there's, there's these different archetypes that are sort of mistaken for masculinity. And one of the chief ones is the, the asshole slash um, uh, uh, alpha type. You know, the, they're dominating others. You know, they, they, they're probably, you know, the kind of guy that's richer, taller, smarter, you know, whatever, more aggressive. And they're dominating other people. And, yeah, they often do uh, get beautiful women to want to be with them. And my experience, and, of course, it's, I only have limited data points, but is that that, that gets old fast. Um, but the women, why are they with a guy like that? Because that's the guy that lives by his own code. And women, well, I shouldn't say women. Some women will put up with a lot just to get a hit of that in a man. That's and, really, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're willing to dismiss the other stuff because they want this code so bad. They want what yeah, you just, for yeah. a while, for a while until their, until their heart starts to hurt so badly or until he cheats on her or yeah, yeah, exactly. Or he just, she just doesn't feel cared for. Like she feels led and that's, see that kind of guy, he's overemphasizing the first element Yeah. or sorry, the, sorry, the second element he's, he's providing so much direction and structure that he's just basically telling everybody what to do, but she doesn't feel safe. She doesn't feel emotionally safe. She doesn't feel her heart held or her emotions received and validated. And after a while it, it gets old. Um, but you know, there's that other, the other end, um, what I call the sort of the, the, the male apologist, you know, he, he's like, I'm the new age man. Mm. And I'm so, I'm so evolved and I'm so nice to women and he wears it on his sleeve and he's, you know, trying to one up the other apologists about how evolved he is. And he's sort of over identifying with the third element, which is create safety. Like everybody feels so safe. They're like completely bored with him. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. I see that left I, and right in among yeah. millennials and it makes me yes. want to strangle them. Yes, but they don't know exactly. they're doing what they were, you know, what this culture is telling them to do. Well, they think they're being a good boy. Yeah. And, while women might respect or appreciate them, 
you know, it's, it's, I think there's going to be a tendency towards less raw traction. No, it kills the sex. Let's yeah, just call it what it exactly. is. Kills the sex. <laughs> I was trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not <laughs> diplomatic here, GS. <laughs> the last archetype I'll mention just to, just to tie that off is, I don't, I don't have a name for it, but he's a guy that he's just so tightened up, you know, and I know a few guys like this where they're just really tight and they walk tight and they talk tight and you can't ever access them. They over-index on the first element, respond versus react. Like they're not reacting to anything. And to the degree that they really don't feel like they have emotions, you don't feel like they care. Um, and that's not masculinity either. So none of those, the apologist is not masculinity. The alpha male is not masculinity. Uh, in my book, uh, at least not a holistic masculinity. And, you know, the guy that's tight is not a masculinity. They're all over-indexed too much on one of the elements. And my view, my model, is you've got to exhibit all three to be holistically masculine. Ah, got it. I see. I didn't know if you were going to a, an ideal person. or you, I see what you mean. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this before, but you said if you want to bring leadership to your relationship, you need to know what you want. And you mentioned that earlier. And I want to just mention that again by saying what you're essentially saying is to stop being so focused on how other people in your wife and girlfriend, too, will receive whatever it is you have to say. Just be who you'd be if you were single, let's just say, right? Yeah. If you were alone or you and and you just said what you thought or wanted, regardless of the outcome, that's that's strong. That's strength. That's confidence. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's I love that you use the word confidence because, um, you know, confidence is not uh, uh, I know what's going to happen and it will happen. And I'm so confident. Confidence for me is I know what I want. And I keep going after it until reality tells me not to, whatever, whatever that reality is. But I just, it's wanting what I want and knowing it. And that feels a lot like confidence. So you don't actually have to, uh, you know, achieve or get certain things to, to be a confident person. You just have to know what you want and want what you want. And for me, what I tell guys is it's, it's a, it's a radar analogy. You know, you're the, the, the man who's tuned a little bit too much on everybody else. Your radar is on other people. You don't even know it, but it's mm -hmm. naturally on the other person. And you can, you can tune your awareness. You can tune your radar. All you have to do is turn it 180 degrees. And it's a muscle. And you just start to train to yourself to be sensing into the signals inside of you instead of outside of you. And I know that sounds completely cliche, but it is, it's actually a, 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 an actual embodied experience that you can go practice. And once you turn that radar, then it gets a lot better. Now, it doesn't mean you get selfish and narcissistic. You have to be tuned to both. But be tuned to yours first. Oh, Overemphasize yours first because you're already outward focused too much anyway. Okay, now I'm going to ask you something about that because I know exactly what you're saying. But if a man heard this and thought that sounded sort of, I don't know, spiritual or something, they couldn't get their hands around, what specifically would they do to recognize that they're doing that? Is it a matter of just stopping and thinking or? Yeah, it is. Let's use your example for earlier. You know, where do you want to go to dinner? Okay. So if your woman comes to you, men, this is the simplest of examples, the most obvious, but if your woman comes to you and she does one of two things, one is says, Hey, you know, let's go to the steak place tonight. Or she says, where do you want to go? You know, the first thing you need to do is, is stop <laughs> and say nothing. 
and pause and say, oh, hmm, what do I want to do? You know, and sense into your stomach, <laughs> into your mind, and uh, and have an opinion. And, and your exercise for the next week is every question you've got, have an opinion on it, and then share that opinion. And in fact, for the first week, share it without regard to what she wants. It's just as it's a calisthenic, it's an exercise. Um, and do little exercises like that um, to just see, like, oh, what is it I actually want? And then you might even practice, you know, babe, steak sounds great, but I would really love to go get tacos at that place we saw the other day. Are you up for that? And what's funny, you know, what's funny, GS, is it's, I want to say, I, th I think to myself, why don't, um, how do you get across that that's really exciting to the woman to hear <laughs> that as opposed to what they think, which is, I'm going to go along with you because that'll make you happy. It's the complete mm -hmm. reverse. Hearing that mm -hmm. is like, well, you, I think you even used something about, I think you made an analogy with catnip in your book. <laughs> That's an example <laughs> of catnip right there. Yes. A man with, with, you know, opinions and desires is it's, it can be like catnip for oh. in the right circumstance. Yeah, it really is. Guys just get over the, get over the, the notion it's 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 so unconscious in, in you that mm -hmm. you don't even know it but bring it to the surface giving her you know asking her what she wants and giving it to her is not attractive no okay. and then okay oh my gosh not at all thank you and then <laughs> one last thing i want to say before we have to move on um is the importance of saying no and i think this uh, is yes. a really big one and when i say no i mean when it doesn't work for you, I don't mean saying no just to throw your weight around, obviously, but if yeah. it doesn't work for you and you want to say no, but you say yes anyway, I think, yeah. GS, this yeah. is just huge in relationships. It is. It is. And where I'd like to respond to it is, is at the, at the deepest level. The reason you can't say no guys is because your nervous system is in a state of threat and you're feeling anxiety because of it. The threat comes from, because if you think, unconsciously, if you say no, that you're going to lose the connection with her, you're going to lose her love, her approval, she might leave you, you know, you, your mind can spin out and you have these assumptions that sit way down deep below where you're even aware. And it, it, then you go into a state of threat. Like if you're going to lose love or connection or approval from your woman, like, yeah, that's threatening. Like I get it. Um, and so that's, what has you say no, because there's that little electric shock of anxiety that comes up in you that you don't even see. And then you're suddenly like, okay, baby, whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. You mean that, wait, you say you yes. Gotta, you mean, you mean that's the little thing that makes you say you yes. Think. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and that's where you say, okay, whatever you want to do, which is yes. Um, so guys, that, that tendency to not have a strong no is down deep at your nervous system level and, and, you know, go into the chapters on emotions, go into the chapters on embodiment as your, as your way to remedy that. Once you take care of the anxiety, your no will become much more uh, easy to give. And then on my last point on that is sort of more of a cognitive one, which is she can't trust your yes until she can trust your no. So if you don't have a no, she won't trust your yes. It's, you know, Oh, that's because good. She, yeah. she'll actually think that some of your no's are, are, are disguised as yeses and you're not going to follow through and you'll find her trusting you less. So when you say no, it, you know, I know it's counterintuitive, but she trusts you more and she's going to be attracted to you more. You got it. Oh my God. We have so much more to talk about. Will you come back? <laughs> Absolutely. I love this. <laughs> this is, this has just been great. GS. Can you tell people where they can learn more about your work? You have an awesome site. I know that. 
Yes. Well, go to gsyoungblood.com and you can see everything on there. I've got uh, articles and videos that I post. I've got a little bit on the book. Um, I have a feedback tool, which is part of my work as well, of uh, that you can use to get feedback from other people in your world, and then I can help you process that feedback. Um, and then I've got a Facebook page where I do various posts. Um, you know, you can just search for GS Youngblood, and uh, those are the best places to find me. Uh, that's another thing I wanted to mention, which your your site is really well done. It's very clean and, um, yeah. again, just as organized as the book. It's so it's very manly, very organized. <laughs> it's not oh, thank, it doesn't have stuff God. all over it. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Okay, good. No. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, and... Thank you so much, GS, for coming on. And um, I hope you yeah. come back for sure. And um, good luck yeah. with, with everything you're doing. Yeah, this was a ton of fun, Suzanne, and I, I will. I'll look forward to next time. Awesome. Thanks, G.S. Well, that wraps up another edition of The Suzanne Venker Show. My guest today was G.S. Youngblood, author of The Masculine in Relationship. Don't forget to tune in next week when we talk to Rabbi Manus Friedman about his book, The Joy of Intimacy. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.